Welcome back to another episode of I Could Never Be, guys. It's another opportunity for you guys to better yourselves, better your lives, and really make a difference in the world around you. And today's advice that we're starting out with, today's advice for a better life is to embrace the childhood joys. You know, when you're young, there's certain things that are like the little joys. They're like, you know, getting a piece of gum, getting a gumball. It's so little, and yet it brings you so much joy. And so I want to be able to encourage you not to let those go. I think sometimes as we get older and we think things have to be more extravagant and bigger gifts, and it's not the case. You know, even now, you spend a couple bucks to buy someone a cup of coffee, buy them a smoothie, buy them something small, it will still be able to bring them great joy in life, and it will make their day, and I guarantee you'll feel better as well. Guys, I am so excited for today's show. My excitement cannot be understated because we have a legend among Hollywood legends in studio today talking with him. He has won eight Emmy Awards five Golden Globes. He is known by audiences young and old. People who, you know, our previous generations know him for Lou Grant on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Certainly younger audiences know him from Elf in the movie Up. And he is still working, still producing several projects. We're going to talk about one of his latest ones right here. Please welcome Ed Asner. Ed, thank you so much thank for joining us you. here today. Are you kidding with that glowing report like that? <laughs> Ooh, I kiss you. <laughs> you know, I look and we talked about this and, you know, uh, IMDb is a little little off, but it, it says you know there's so many you know works in production and in development, but it is nine in production. I think you've already filmed. That's that's incredible. Is that is there is there a stopping point in the future? I mean, you're still just putting together projects. You've heard about the lowering of the box. <laughs> huh? Yeah, that's when it stops. Oh, well... Uh, I don't think I'll be able to project lines from the box. You don't be able to project lines from the no. box? Well, you had uh, uh, a movie that we have some pictures for, Tiger Within, which mm. I know is one of your latest ones. Uh, and tell me a little bit about the, this film. We have some pictures. I know you're sitting at dinner table. I think it takes place around Christmas time? Yeah, yeah. Deals with a, uh, a young harlot. Uh, she's a wild girl who's rejected by her uh, birth father, who's remarried with new kids, and she's uh, rejected by her new stepfather, uh, who's married to the mama. Wow. And it creates a bitterness on her part, and she limps along through life, or what little she's had so far, uh, doing hand jobs and blow jobs. <laughs> And I know another project, a one-man show, you had a man in his prostate, and now there's another one, God Help Us, where you're actually playing the role of God. Like well, don't you think of me that way? I, I think a lot of people well, think of you that it's way. It's self-evident. <laughs> where it's like a political commentary. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that a fun one? Do you enjoy like, that, that comedy essence of that? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I just hope it's funny. If it's not funny, we shouldn't be doing it. Well, I think a lot of politics today is funny. I think the things that are going on... Well, you, but the real stuff is funny or yeah. ridiculous, you know, with the pop and Jay that's in the White House. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's hard to, you know, top that. <laughs> Do you think it's going to get better or just get crazier? Do you think, that, with all politicians, it seems like it's just people trying to one-up one another in politics. Is it going to get better or is there, we just, are we, have we lost? Oh, I'm not going to say we're lost, but I think it's it's a, it's a punishment that's been long overdue. Hmm. The uh, the politicians that we have, the venality that they demonstrate, the uh, the corruption that they uh, yep. uh, incorporate. Uh, I think it's it's long overdue, and if we survive it, 
Uh, maybe we'll still have a chance, but uh, we we got to clean up a lot. we got to straighten out a lot. And we've got to stop making the buck stops here, meaning the, the, the silver dollar. Yep. So you play the role of God. One change that you could make to the country, what would you do? Oh, I'd probably want to get more socialism in, involved in our government. Because there are a couple of candidates now there. They're doing it. There's one from mm-hmm. New York. Are you a big mm-hmm. fan of hers? So far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we, we don't want to get too involved in, in politics. I like Bernie. You like Bernie? You think he has a good shot in 2020? No, I, I don't know that he's going to run. He may be too old. It might be. Uh, well, I don't want to talk too much about politics. I want to get uh, a lot into your career. I won't alienate. Don't, don't worry. No, I'll, I'm I'll not keep, alienating. I'll keep him in the fold. Don't leave, kids. <laughs> don't you dare leave now. Not not a problem. I mean, is it is it crazy for you to look at the success that you've had? You know, we talked about the eight Emmys, you know, seven as a male actor, which is the most all time, the five Golden Globes, and how long you've been doing it. Is it crazy for you to look at your career and think what you have accomplished? No, no. I worked very hard and earned every goddamn one of them. And uh, probably question why I didn't gain more. <laughs> Do you, uh, what do you contribute to your success? I mean, is there, you talk about the, the hard work. Is that what you would say? Uh, well, the work wasn't that. Uh, I've worked harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believed in what I was doing. I worked very hard to project it to the characters that I was given. I was greatly graced by giving, by being given great roles in great projects, and uh, I, uh, I think that uh, there's a reward for truth, and that's what I was embodying. Mm-hmm. No, I, I full agree, well agree with that. I, I think you know one of the reasons I love doing this show is the character that you know people know you for, especially is Lou Grant. Uh, mm-hmm. But you didn't get that until you were you know forty one years old, and mm-hmm. people think of that and they think, oh well, he just started acting and then he got Lou Grant and it was just that easy. Well, that shows you how the great thinkers we have in this country. <laughs> exactly, and and I think. You know, I love being able to share people's stories, and I, you know, have done knew about you well before you you came on the show here, and certainly in, in doing you know the research and reading. It's you know, growing up in Kansas City was acting always you know the the goal no, for you was no, it not at all no I love to pop on stage and be the big hog. I love to sing the loudest and to act the most, and but I um, I certainly didn't expect it as a career. When asked why uh, why I chose acting at the age of nineteen, I said I I think it was therapy. It was escape. Escape from what? The mundaneness of real life, of um, leading charges up San Juan Hill. You didn't do much of that in Kansas City. Mm-mm. Of. Uh, of being uh, portentously grave and showing how I thought and thought and made great decisions, which involved the family or mm-hmm. the country or a woman or 
a family member. Do you think a lot of actors can relate to that feeling of? You think so? I think that's why a lot go into it to be able to, you know, escape to a certain extent and be able to, you know, maybe in there would be something greater than themselves. Most of the actors out there can do it. They're given the chance. Being given the chance. And I guess I was lucky enough that in the beginning I didn't offend enough people to be denied the chance. So I delivered. And I know you, you, you know, grew up in Kansas City, but then you, you traveled. I mean, you went to Chicago and did work there. I didn't really decide to become an actor until after Chicago. Chicago is what caused it. Was it uh, the circumstances in Chicago? Was it the people? It was in college. I had never really taken a large step of presenting a intelligent uh, capacious creature as Thomas a. Beckett, Archbishop Thomas a. Beckett. Uh, so it was the enormity of the role, the play, T.S. Eliot's Murder in the Cathedral, uh, of scoring with a young lady in the chorus, and uh, all those combined to maybe we say, this is acting. <laughs> and your your parents weren't big fans of acting as as a child, no, were they? No, well, they, they they certainly loved acting, but they they uh, they didn't expect the, one of their own to jump up and take over. Now, what were your other siblings doing? Because I feel like that probably played a, maybe a role in their thinking of what you should have done at that age. I know you have older siblings. What were they doing at that point? Well, I had two sisters who were involved in social work and one who was involved in in uh, clothing at Six Bear Fuller in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And both had degrees in social work and both had worked as social workers. Uh, my two brothers, one was, uh, I'd worked with my uncle in the uh, pipe and supply company he had in the Texas Panhandle and had operated well there and then uh, in the war uh, uh, was a uh, ferry pilot uh, and when he got out of the war uh, started buying surplus goods and selling them at a profit mm-hmm. and uh, finally went into the uh, um, building materials business and was the biggest building supply, so material supplier in Kansas City at the time. So did they want you to just have something more stable? Was it the stability of acting that jobs can come and go? It was just from out of far left field. Hmm. They, just, they never even thought of the possibility. Do you remember the conversation that you had with them when you told them that that's what you wanted to do? No, they just looked at me with cross eyes. Was it a goal of yours to prove them wrong? No. Uh, my goal was never that ambitious. It was to prove me right for myself. Yeah. To, yeah. to prove that you could do it in the world? Survive. Yeah. 
Tell me about that survival, because I know that you know when your parents found out that you were doing acting in Chicago, they kind of pulled the funds, mm-hmm. and you had to survive. Mm-hmm. What was mm-hmm. your What was your mindset? Uh, well, going first of all, there? I had a mommy who I don't think would ever have let her baby starve, <laughs> uh, but it never came to that. Um, <clears throat> I went back to Chicago and did another play, mm-hmm. uh, and um, confirmed my determination to do the acting gig. And uh, tried various jobs. He tried driving a cab. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, tried selling TV over. Uh, uh, a local station in Chicago. Hmm. And um, were you tra- as one guy, one guy I read the speech to, I kept insisting that he let me read my speech that uh, you're given to give to them. And I tried to read it to him. And he said, yeah, let, let me tell you, it's a, it's a you know, you, you did a nice job of reading the speech. Said, That's the worst speech I ever heard. <laughs> Like a, uh, yeah. okay, so that didn't last long. I would borrow money to go down to the Loop, so I could uh, buy a cup of coffee and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Did you give it amount of time? You know, when you went back to Chicago, and I feel like that is the way with people who move to LA. They say, "Well, I'm going to give it two years. I'm going to mm-hmm. give it three years, and if nothing happens, and maybe I'll change my mind." Did you do that when you went to Chicago? No, no, I think. Uh, I was more stupid than that. I think I think I uh, I just decided to um, until I collapsed, uh, or until my calls home were not answered. <laughs> it never happened, but it was always possible. Calling home for money? What were you calling home for? I never did, but uh, I, I never actually tried it. But yeah, they they often anticipated my calls. I feel like that sometimes can drive you more because, yeah, you you're, you have something to prove. I, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What, uh, well, you got tired of people looking at you. Says, you poor, unfortunate schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's so relatable to people today. People today who are, you know, moving out here from various places. Again, I grew up in Wisconsin. I'm from the Midwest. I know plenty of other people here from the Midwest who, you, we have the people who are back home and are like, so are you, are you giving up yet? Are you, are you done doing this? Yeah, yeah. Was it the same, you know, yeah, when you were in Chicago? People are waiting for, for me to throw in the towel. Hmm. Yeah. Was there ever a point where you thought about throwing in the towel? At that first step in Chicago, because I know... Not until much later. Not until much later. Uh, I can remember... uh, I had been... I had had very good success in L.A. Mm -hmm. And then the well dried up. And for two years, we we barely uh, made popcorn money. This was after Lou Grant? Oh, no, no, long before. Before? Oh, yeah. So uh, my son said he remembers it very vividly. I, I have to believe him. I don't know. But I'd, I'd go out on Saturday night, and I'd get the L.A. Times. 
so I could bring it back and go over the one ads and see what jobs I could qualify for or could warrant to uh, supplement whatever I was doing as an actor, if anything. Were these non-acting jobs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But almost invariably, I was either totally unschooled for the jobs or uh, or because uh, they wanted certain schooling mm-hmm. or uh, they didn't train you. So I never found any breakthrough there. How long? How long did that go on for? You said two years. Two years. And during that point was when you thought about walking away. I didn't think about walking away. I just waited until I was down on my knees, crawling with a cup in my hand, to find a, you know, fi- finding which exit ramp on the freeway I could stand by, hmm. and. Um, Flash my tin cup. Were you actually out there? No, not that far? No. Well, it's L.A. There, there's a lot, so you never know. Yeah. What was the attitude that you had? And you think that attitude is missing for a lot of people of you know, do, literally doing whatever it takes, taking the job that nobody wants, looking for that job that is you know, willing to allow you to continue pursuing your dreams. What is the attitude, and do you think that is missing with people nowadays who are like, no, but I, I'm too good for this. I just want this. Uh, I, I don't... Uh, um, right off the bat, I think they're... they're um, discouraged. I think discouragement exists. They're, they're, they're just made to look at the enormity of what they would have to go through and they can't they can't see mounting all of those steps to meeting that enormity so they don't do it those who do uh, keep learning the tricks in the trade you just keep looking at it and say I have to take one step and then another and then another I'm going to learn ballet I even took ballet lessons at one time. Really? How many lessons did you make it? Well, actually, uh, this was still in New York. And uh, a friend and I were enrolled in Peter Gennaro's class. And uh, it was interesting. It was good to learn to dance, uh, however, whoever taught it. Was that, and, to get, was that to get the ladies? Be honest with me, Ed. I had the ladies anyway. <laughs> so then, um, uh, right after we started taking lessons with him, he gets called to do the Perry Como show. The, no, the Perry Como show or the Frank Sinatra show, I can't remember which, to choreograph the, uh, those shows. And I said, oh, what am I going to do? So, uh, I didn't get a replacement, and uh, I never really learned to dance. Well, professionally, I'm I'm sure you were light on your feet and able to able to dance a little. Oh, bit. Light in my head too. 
the the point you know where you're saying there's two years where you were down and you know looking through the want ads and I think that you said that was before Mary Tyler Moore. Did you expect to get the Mary Tyler Moore show when you first oh, went in the interview? No, 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 no. I, first of all, I didn't know what the Mary Tyler Moore show was. Nobody was ever offering me a goddamn show. So uh, I um, I went in. Uh, I had um, done work for CBS, which was. I uh, had Ethel Wynant as its vice president in charge of talent mm-hmm. at the time. I did a movie at uh, 20th that Grant Tinker was around 20th at the time, who saw my work on that as a comedic police chief. And I stayed away from comedy. I, uh, I uh, didn't uh, trust myself on comedy. So then... Uh, I'm called in to uh, uh, a normal call uh, to do uh, uh, audition for the Mary Tyler Moore show. Okay. So I go in uh, as Lou Grant. And um, uh, I, I don't plan ahead. I, mm-hmm. If I get it, great. Then I'll, then I'll know. So then... Uh, the uh, producers give me the script, and I look it over, and I'm impressed by the writing. And I uh, wait, and I'm called in to read, and I read with the two producers, Alan Burns and Jim Brooks. And uh, they, uh, they, uh, the reading ends, and uh, Jim uh, Brooks says, uh, well, that was a um, very intelligent reading. <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't funny, was it? <laughs> and he, he said, well, uh, we want you to take the script when you come back to read with Mary. Oh, that's a promising note. Yeah. Uh, we want you to read it this way. Crazy, wiggy, wild, all out nuts. And I said, hmm <laughs> And I said, uh, well, um... Oh, why don't you have me read it that way now, or try it that way now? And if I if I don't make it, don't have me back. I've never talked like that before or since. They had never heard that before, or weren't yeah, prepared bold. to hear it. Yeah, and they said, "Well, uh, we do have another appointment." But uh, all right, go ahead. So I read it like an idiot, and they laughed their asses <laughs> off. And they said, "Do it just like that when you come back with Mary." Oh, I don't know. What is it? How do you... So I, for the next week or two, however long it took, I, I tried to think in those terms. I came back to read with Mary and jumped in again like a, like a fool and read it all out wiggy. And they laughed their asses off again. And, uh, and they said thank you and... I left, and years later I heard that uh, Mary then turned to them and said, Are you sure? <laughs> and that's your Luke Grant. Did you ever confront her uh, about that after no, hearing it? No. I felt like it would have been she a good was laugh. right. <laughs> she was on the right of track. Did you realize at that point how much your life would change? No, no. 
I, uh, I, I had done comedy when I was on the stage, and I was good at it, but I couldn't know how to do it on night two and three and four and five. I couldn't know how to repeat it. Yeah. Because I'd always get lost and forget how I got there. So, uh, um, we stayed away from it when we took jobs in L.A. We? Who's we? My agent and I. Okay. And we we geared ourselves to doing drama. Mm-hmm. Which is what, you know, Lou Grant, the spinoff was. Yeah. But it still had comedy in it. Yeah. What was a favorite memory from working on that show? You know, talking with the people before the show uh, and fans of the show that reached out. Uh, you know, it's one of the things that they wanted to know. Well, you have a favorite memory from working on the show or a couple? Just an overall. Uh, it was a blessing to go to work. Blessing to be with those people. Blessing to read those words. To rehearse those words. To make it even better. Um... To be directed by a good director. It uh, it was also easy. Seven years of plush, hmm. and each year you got paid more money. Yeah. I um, no, there's no better way to live if you're right in the role. Yeah, you just got to wait for that door to open. Was there is there any secrets about the show that people you know anything that happened behind the scenes that people don't know about? I mean, it, it's been you know. You heard of about years. the babies. Heard about the babies. Yeah. So what is, what is the babies? Because I I don't know if I know about the babies. All the actresses had babies that we created. Hmm. Yeah. On the show or? Mm. You? <laughs> no. No. Uh. No babies came out of it. Um, there's no scuttlebutt. It was just a good show. Yeah. Did you know uh, that Lou Grant would come out of it? No, no. I. That's the last thing I imagined. I, you know, uh, the show ended and everybody got their walking papers and everybody got offers of a show here, there, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And in my show, I got an, uh, an open-ended offer from CBS, and I took it to MTM. Fine, fine. And uh, I said, "Well, I'd like my two producers, Alan Burns and Jim Brooks, to produce the show because I figured it'd just be in a, another half-hour comedy that mm-hmm. they'd come up with." Yep. No, no, not the case. Uh, so a couple months later, they finally said to me, "We think we'd like to take Lou back." Uh, to his first love, which was newspapers. I said, oh, yeah, I have um, And we'd like to do it in an hour format. Well, that's that's the, going to the dark side of the moon. That's a long, that's double. Yeah. But it's a, it's a totally different life. Totally different life. Was that a challenge for you, or did you see that as something that I don't was... recall it as being a challenge, I, but I, I trusted those two guys so much, it didn't matter what the... What, you, trusted, you trusted the guys. Yeah. Who's the spy? He's just coming to adjust cameras. He's a big fan of yours. Oh, is he? 
Why is he crawling? Why is he crawling? He likes yeah. to do that. Oh, well, that poor <laughs> fellow. And I know the that show. I think it was a change for people too, who are viewers. They're like you're expecting this CBS, CBS, the first two weeks of the Lou Grant show had us identified as a Lou Grant a comedy. Oh, so that was what confused people. That's how stupid uh, they were, how stupid the people were. And, uh, uh, you know, even though it was a drama, there were still, there were still comedic lines within the show because they didn't want to throw all mm-hmm. of that away. Mm-hmm. So uh, <clears throat> I was in therapy at the time, and... Uh, I uh, went to my first therapy session after the show opened, and I'm lying on a couch. He was one of those guys, <laughs> and uh, and I said, "So what do you think?" And he said, uh, "Why do you grimace so much?" <laughs> and oh my God, it hit me. We're going from a half-hour, three-camera, audience-attended mm-hmm. comedy show to a one-hour, uh, single-camera drama with no audience. Totally different vibe. Totally different attitude. Nobody can laugh. Nobody can do anything. But I didn't want to lose the laughs at home. Hmm. So whenever we got to a laugh line that I was participant of, I would I would say the line and I go, I'd grimace, <laughs> <laughs> like a schmuck, <laughs> and uh, we um, we stopped that day. Yeah. Did you appreciate what you had when you had it at that point? When you when you're at that level, you know, and you're you're at the height right there, and, and you know you're known by people anywhere you go. You can't go somewhere without people knowing your name. Did you take time at that moment to to appreciate where you were and to say, "Man, this is this is my life. This is where I am after all the work that I've put in." No, no, I just kept wanting to make it better and better. I can remember. When we first started, we weren't sure whether we were going to be picked up or not. Mm-hmm. And we had the first script, but we, uh, as, as we're waiting to go into production, I keep getting further scripts, two, three, four. And I'm reading these damn things, and I think, good God almighty, this show's got to go. It's <laughs> got to go. These scripts just got better and better and better and better. You can read them now and still enjoy how good they are, how wonderful they are. Yeah, the quality doesn't hasn't changed. It's still no. great writing. It's still a great show. And certainly people it's still very high for people to watch reruns on. You know, that show uh, you know was canceled, unfortunately. I know you've talked in great detail about that. I don't need you to rehash that. But I, I'm curious because lately it, there seems to be a lot of political commentary in shows uh, with uh, Last Man Standing and Tim Allen, with Roseanne and Samantha Bee on TBS. Do you think in today's culture that Lou Grant would have been canceled? 
Why? Oh, it's today's culture. In today's culture, we, we have a lot of we have the last man standing, the Roseanne, the Samantha Bee. It was essentially uh, canceled uh, because I was decrying um, U.S. involvement in uh, El Salvador mm-hmm. and Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paley, Mr. Paley of CBS. Did uh, who had stepped in before to stop people uh, like the Smothers Brothers, mm-hmm. like uh, I think even Murrow, he tried to bottle him at one point. But he didn't like that, even though his wife loved the show. So we had to figure uh, whether whether he would have been empowered or felt encouraged to do that. Because it's always the the bottom line that you're biting the hand that feeds you, i.e., the advertisers. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, Kimberly Clark, had two factories in El Salvador, um, and the three sponsors who actually did cancel. Although I was assured by CBS vice presidents that there were people waiting in line to to buy sponsorship, but the three who did cancel were Kimberly Clark, who had also been sponsors of the John Burt Society, mm-hmm. uh, Cadbury Candy, a British candyman, mm-hmm. and Vidal Sassoon, also a Brit. So they they ran scared and uh, scared the hell out of um, Mr. Paley, I yep. guess. Do you think that you know, in looking at like obviously Roseanne was canceled? Do you think that uh, is similar? Do you think the network made the right decision to pull her with her political speak? Well, because I'm so totally opposite to what her expressions are that all I can do is celebrate. <clears throat> um, I think she was more personally direct in her attack as I... What was the... Um, didn't she... She was more, yeah, pro pro uh, specific administration and not pro a cause. I think it was bad taste. Yeah, I believe it was uh, essentially. Uh, yeah, which mine wasn't. It was just who I picked to tout. Do you think you know? And again, today's society very political, uh, and people choosing sides. Do you think that? Well, actors, I think we've, we've, Do you think we've, that? Do you think that actors should have that freedom to be able to voice their support? Yeah, I I think uh, uh, they'll find the ways, and if they uh, if they don't find the ways, they'll find subtler ways of doing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, it's good to have a line drawn, yes, and it's good to have it broken occasionally, and let the discipline take place. But uh, I mean, a lot of the industry thought I was a. A pure and simple commie. Hmm. Yeah, for, I know. For my thoughts, and uh, 
It never even approached that. But uh, they wanted to think it, so let them. I, I don't know. What do you think? You know, I think it's. I think you're right. I think you have to have a line, and I think sometimes it's it's good for that line to be broken uh, to be able. Well, to... Well, for instance, for instance, I think we have a better example. Here we have the taking the knee mm-hmm. at the Star Spangled Banner. Isn't isn't what they are protesting for meaningful, heartfelt? Has nothing to say against the banner itself or the country per se but it's a moment they choose to register their unhappiness over what is being done in the name of national honor I think the biggest issue is people don't listen to the actual words and meaning anymore. They listen to a headline or they listen to to the, the politics that the other side that the other side or their side is throwing. Mm. And you know, there's so much of trying to paint one side as one way or paint the other side as the other way, and we just put up these walls instead of talking. Mm-hmm. And instead of actually discussing, be like, okay, why do you feel this way? No, it's like, oh, you're doing this wrong. Not even listening. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big issue. I think that's a huge issue in today's society that we just we don't listen, we don't talk, no. and we just we paint people as okay. Oh, you're stereotype. Okay, stereotype. All right, stereotype. And it's mm-hmm. both. I mean, it's it's all around us. It's terrible. Uh, what was what was the you know the the months after Lou Grant was canceled uh, and the years after? What was that like for you? Uh, you know, to oh, it was horrible. It was horrible. I had death threats. I feared for my family, too. Uh, Not a great outpouring of friendship from uh, whatever friends I had. Um, Immediate uh, blacklisting. Mm -hmm. So it was... uh, I came into... uh, I walked into a wall. Did you feel like you needed to kind of reestablish yourself and maybe go in a different way and do different roles? Or well, no, no, I I always did that. Okay. Always tried for different roles. Didn't matter. Um, at the at the time, I was under the the pressure before they announced that they were canceling the show. Uh, I was visited by a group of three of my producers on Le Grant and uh, who uh, were there to get me to change my mind I said what do you, what do you want me to do I said uh, first of all I, I want to clarify that it became determined at least by my agent and others that any time I was attacked I responded as ably and powerfully as I could, verbally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't keep my mouth shut. When uh, when uh, the producers tried to say, uh, well, as one producer put it, uh, we think there are two ways of presenting our ideas. One is the way we do it on the show. The other is your way. And we think our way is better. Hmm. And I said, well, that's, that's, that's very good and well and good. Uh, 
but I, I'm under, I'm being threatened. Mm-hmm. How do you want me to answer that? They didn't have an answer. It didn't seem like there was a good option either way. No. Did you think about walking away from acting after that, or was that also you're just the back to the trying to prove to yourself that you could do it? Prove to yourself that you weren't done yet. I wasn't through being done as an actor, and until I found that that was the truth, that that was the story, uh, then I'd find the alternative career. If there was one, mm-hmm. did you? What other careers were you even looking at? I, don't know. I have no idea. I, I did not do that kind of planning. Yeah, I'm not that kind of a brain. <laughs> you know, I was talking uh, with Doug Jones, the actor, and he said at one point, you know, growing up in Indiana, did you ever think about going back to Indiana? And he said, I didn't get that far. I didn't develop another plan because if I had, I probably would have pursued it. You know, you pursue it faster if you actually put that in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah a good answer he's a, he's a good man what still drives you you know and talking about all these productions that you're doing and obviously you just uh, wrapping up that that other one uh, and you have several more and several more coming out what still drives you as an actor to continue uh, doing your craft that as I make the statement as I put the period in to know that I did it just right. It's, it's uh, minimalism, but absolute precision. What do you think stops others from achieving success in acting? Thousands of people come to L.A. every single year to try acting. What is it that you think stops them from achieving success? Possible they haven't refined their art down to where to put the period. In 50 years, people look back on your life and career. What are three things that you want people to remember uh, about your acting, about your life, about the way you lived, the way you carried yourself? What do you want people to remember? The honesty of my acting. The honesty of whatever I said in public. I haven't been caught in lies in either case that I know of. And uh, the fact that doing those two things well, uh, the right roles will come along. I agree with that. The point of the show, people place you on a pedestal. People look up and say, man, the, the things that Ed Asner has achieved, again, the eight Emmys, the five Golden Globes, the countless other awards, you know, the Hall of Fame, and it, people think that they can't Charlie do Sherman that. is my... Uh, yeah, is, is yep. My publicity man, my God. People think that they can't achieve those same things. What advice do you have for actors and actresses who are at the bottom levels of the totem pole, what advice do you have for them to climb and reach higher? Believe that you can go higher, number one, until you fall on your face 
and are proven wrong, then do it a second time to be proven again. That's number one. Number two, don't quit until everybody unanimously agrees that you should. Is that including yourself in agreement? No, you wait for the decision. (laughs) (laughs) You wait for the unanimity of the crowd. As long as there's one person who believes in you. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, I appreciate you joining us. A couple of, you know, I know you were uh, recently in Cobra Kai that is coming back for a second season. Do you want to come back or are you going to come back for Cobra Kai season two? Uh, I was amazed how unbelievably it was received. Very well received. I am amazing. (coughs) And I'm delighted. And I would be tremendously pleased to do it some more. I think you'd be, I think uh, they would enjoy having you back. I think fans would enjoy having you back, especially. I know Kevin Undergaro, who's the founder of Popcorn Talk, him and Maria Menounos, loved you in that. Mm. They, they really loved your character uh, and loved the show in general. So, uh, you know, I guess we'll look forward to that. And again, I know you're not stopping anytime soon. No, unless the Grim Reaper makes an untimely <laughs> crash. Is there a role that you haven't done that you still want to do? No, no. None I know of. I, I, there are plenty out there that I haven't done that I'm, I'm waiting to look into and waiting to be offered. and waiting Char- to, Characters or um, No, like I have no, no specifics in mind. Okay. But I, I know that they must exist. Yeah. And uh, What's one example of? For instance, you know, I... Um, I did Axel Jordash in Rich Man Poor mm-hmm, Man. Mm-hmm. Got an Emmy for it. Yep. And um, um, my friend Harv Bennett was the producer of it, and uh, and he said, "Go read the book." Uh, so I I read the book, and I read it, and. I thought it was great, great book, mm-hmm. great story. And he said, uh, I, I, I don't know if I remember it or not. I suppose he was asked, you know, uh, what role would you like? And I don't remember what I said. But I, I couldn't believe when he, when he said he, he thought uh, I could do, do well as the father. I, not until the day I did it, or the night I did it, could I believe that I was doing it. I was. It was always uphill for me. It worked out pretty well. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. It's one of my best jobs. So, I'm willing to be led. Uh, I. Uh, up was a uh, total surprise to me. I had been uh, submitted as a voiceover. Mm-hmm. I didn't think anything about it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then to get it, 
it all became another were, another we're, very enjoyable movie. Working at the drawing board. Yeah. Well, I think uh, I speak on behalf of everyone watching that we're very excited to hear what happens and see what happens uh, with the multitude of projects that you have going on right now and coming up. And if you want to be able to follow Ed after the show, at the only Ed Asner on Twitter and Instagram. I know you're active on Twitter. Uh, if you can follow me at the only MC on Instagram and on Twitter. And certainly Popcorn Talk. Want to be able to shout them out. We're so thankful to be here at the Popcorn Talk on Instagram and on Twitter. Ed, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. My uh, pleasure. I really did. Uh, firm grip, Ed. Firm grip. Fantastic. Uh, really did enjoy talking with you. I appreciate you being open and being able to mm. inspire people. Because, again, people see you as Lou Grant, but there was a lot of your career before and after that where you you know, had to push through and uh, you know, put your nose at the grindstone. Uh-huh. And that's what it's all about. So thank you guys very much for joining us. You can uh, certainly watch us on YouTube every single Monday at 4 o'clock on Popcorn Talk Network. We're also on Apple iTunes. Please, on both of those, comment, like, subscribe. We give this content to you for free. Tell a friend. Want to be able to get it out there. Be able to make your day a little better. And in doing that, making your day a little better, pass that on. Again, the little gifts, the little joys for those around you. Just spend a couple bucks. Make someone's day. It's real easy. Until next time, we'll see you later. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.